talk about a topic that for many is probably something that is a sensitive one. God, we ask that you would just give us understanding, God. Give us clarity. God, allow us to leave this place encouraged. Ultimately, Father, that all of us, whether we have a relationship with you or not, that, God, we would not leave this place the same way that we walked in. That, God, we would leave this place changed. And ultimately, that we would leave this place glorifying you. I just thank you. Praise you. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Cool beans. All right. Y'all doing good? Cool. I'm great. Corbin, thank you. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be tonight. We're going to be starting in verse 25. Now, tonight we are talking about a topic that has kind of been like, you know, there's some things that like in culture and in society are just kind of like these, I don't want to say a buzzword, but like there are things that are just seem to be trending more than other things. You know what I'm trying to say? Um, one of those things is anxiety and stress and worry. Um, I think everyone in this room, if we were honest, if we took a moment to kind of just evaluate things, everyone in this room would talk, we could say to some extent that anxiety is something that they regularly struggle with, right? Uh, I think that anxiety is probably something that many of us in this room, and many of you, if not in this room, uh, you know somebody who struggles severely with anxiety to the point to where something, the word just anxiety or, or depression or worry or whatever, it's almost become like a badge of honor. Right? It's almost become this thing where it's like, hey, like I identify with my anxiety. Do you, you see what I'm trying to say? Can anybody like, does anyone like, know what I mean when I say this, or am I just kind of making this up, right? Like, there's almost this thing where people are like, hey, like, like my name is Bob, and I have social anxiety. Right? To the point to where people almost identify with their anxieties more than they identify with Christ. What we have to understand, and what we're going to look at tonight, is we need to understand that when a relationship with Christ, Jesus does not simply promise you a way to manage your anxiety. There's a lot of ways and a lot of people smarter than me who can teach you how to manage your anxiety, right? There are psychiatrists and, and, and psychologists and even pharmacists and all these people who will give you these different ways, these different methods, these different medications, whatever, to seek to manage anxiety. But what we need to understand is that a relationship with Christ promises the, not just that, not simply that, you know, it will or whatever, but this, it promises a life free from anxiety, Free from worry. What we have to understand is what does it look like to live a life that is free from anxiety? Free from worry. Free from stress. And I want to, before we even get into anything tonight, I want to I be very, very clear about something. If you struggle with anxiety, that is not to say that you are a bad Christian. It's not to say that you are not a Christian. It's simply something that you struggle with, right? Like we all struggle in many ways, Scripture says. Okay, So what we're going to talk about tonight, we need to understand, one, is a very sensitive issue for some. Okay, 
And in no way is anything that I'm going to say tonight going to try and minimize the struggle or the suffering that you have. Does that make sense? I'm not going to try and sit here and be like, hey, get it together. Okay? That is not the goal. That is not the aim. Simply what we want to look at is what does Scripture have to say about anxiety, stress, and worry. Make sense? Cool beans. Well, first thing we're going to look at, first thing we're going to understand is we have to, we're going to try and understand three things. We're going to understand anxiety, understand God's provision, and understand our futures. Okay, that's the three points that we're going to look at tonight. Understanding anxiety, understanding provision, and understanding the future. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But first, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we talk about understanding anxiety. We need to understand where does anxiety come from, right? Where does anxiety and stress and worry, where does it come from? Why is it that so many people struggle with anxiety, especially in a day and age today where we have more luxuries than ever before? We have more stuff. If you're in this room, you are richer than 99% of the world. Right? 99% of the world, you are richer than 99% of the world. We have so much luxury. We have stuff, and then we have stuff. We don't have room to put it, so we buy extra places to store our stuff. And then we buy insurance to cover our stuff so that anything happens to our stuff, we'll get money back so we can buy more stuff with that money. We have health insurance, dental insurance, car insurance. You know, I, through, my, through the job of the student pastor, I have dismemberment insurance. I don't even know what that is. Like, I don't know if, like, if that's strictly like the, the student pastor gets dismemberment insurance, Right? Right? But, like, we have all of these things. We have so much security and so much luxury. And at the same time, we're probably the most paranoid and the most anxious generation in the history of the world. Where does that come from? In a day and age of so much luxury and convenience, we're more anxious and worrisome than we have ever been. See, for us to learn to overcome anxiety and fear, we must first understand what it is and where it comes from. All right? If you remember what we talked about last week, right? Remember that Jesus is talking about, does anybody remember what we talked about last week? Cool. Nobody? All right, that's fine. What's up? Yeah. Right? 
perfect, right? Talk about how last week we talked about don't do things publicly simply so that people can look at you, right? Right? How our, our, our relationship with Christ is more than just what we do. It's more than what people see. It's actually, most importantly, the things that people don't see. What we talked about is how often Jesus is talking about here, how often it's our sinful motives that can lead us to do one, like earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about sinful motives lead, lead us to do sinful things. But then he talks about how sinful motives also can be the fuel for good things that we do, right? How we can often serve others, pray, fast, and all the while doing it so that we can be glorified, right? And when, we have, and when sinful motives lead us to do good things, those good things become bad things. You with me? Right, it's it's we and we we need to remember, and we talked about this last week that Jesus is not jumping from topic to topic. Jesus isn't going like you know if you all right, I'm going to talk about giving to the needy, then I'm going to talk about praying, then I'm going to talk about fasting, then I'm going to be talking about lay up your treasures in heaven. He's not saying all right, here's all the things I want to talk about. Right, what Jesus is doing is that there's a there is a flow to the things that he is talking about. Right, there's a logical progression of each topic. He's not jumping from topic to topic, but there's a logical flow to what Jesus is saying in this sermon, in this message. So verses 25 through 34, which we just read, need to be understood within the context of the rest of chapter 6. You with me? Yes, cool. Now, what word would indicate that to you? Boom, therefore, right? I, I, if I say this one more time, I'll probably lose my mind, right? Whenever you see the word therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for, right? So he's connecting his previous thought to what he is saying. Right? He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. So the reason he is telling us that we should not be anxious is rooted in what he has just stated. If you were with us last week, we saw that Jesus is addressing sinful motives to good actions. How oftentimes we can serve others, pray, fast, do all these things for the glory that we receive from other people, which is ultimately sinful. And when we ask, why do we do this, right? Why do we seek the approval of other people? Why do we want desire these things so much? The answer that Jesus gives is in verses 19 through 21, where he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That last verse, verse 21, like highlight it, underline it, circle it, burn it into your memory, okay? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like, I'll say it again. Where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. Last week we saw that our sinful motives for what we do ultimately derive from where we have placed our treasures. Right? Rather than treasuring God and what God, treasuring God and what he has called us to invest in, what? We treasure our, we treasure the opinions of others. We find our treasures in the approval of other people. We find our treasures in the pride of life and the lusts of the world. Rather than finding our treasure, placing our treasure in God, in the things that God says that we should treasure and value, we treasure and value other things. Jesus will continue on in verse 24 and say, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, all of us have a choice in what master we will serve. Will you serve the master of the sinful flesh, or will you live your life in submission and in service to God? And what you will see is that the master that you choose 
ultimately reveals where your treasure is found. The master you serve reveals the treasure of where your treasure is found. So the logical question of many of us that we want to know is this. What does that have to do with worry? What does what you value and what you treasure have to do with what makes you anxious? Probably doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out the connection, right? We're going to get to that in just a moment, but the thing we have to ask is this. Is worry a sin? Is worry a sin? This is a question that many people ask, many people have answers for. You will probably find people who will disagree with what I'm going to tell you. You will probably disagree with what I'm going to tell you. See, there's a lot of people that have particular views, but I think that the Bible makes this very, very clear. And before you just make an assumption about me, based on what I'm going to say, I ask that you hear me out. 365 times in the Bible, God gives the command, do not be afraid. Dozens of times, Jesus gives the command that we should not worry. Even in this passage, the whole passage is talking about how we should not worry. The command to not worry here in this passage, let's be clear, is a command. It is not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's a command. Because here's the thing, right? Why do we give suggestions? We give suggestions because we have limited knowledge and limited wisdom. Right? I don't know the answers, so what do I do? I suggest something. Right? You and I make suggestions. God makes commands. There's nothing in the Bible that God said that you could be like, well, that was just a suggestion, so I don't have to listen to it. That's not how God works. Why? Because God has infinite knowledge and infinite wisdom. God is all-knowing. There's no end to his wisdom and his understanding, so there's no need for God to give a suggestion. Does that make sense? I hope so. He simply states truth as commands. And any behavior that acts in opposition to God's command is a sin. With this in mind, when we worry and when we are anxious, we are sinning. I think the Bible is clear on that. Now, hang with me before you get up and rage out of the room. Hear me out. Because this is something that a lot of people will disagree with me. Maybe even in this room, you're probably disagreeing with me now. It's something that people get very, very passionate about. But please allow me to explain something that you and I need to understand, okay? We are sinners. You with me? We are sinners. We're saved, but we're sinners, right? We're saved, but we still have a sinful flesh. Galatians 5 makes this very, very clear. We're saved, and we are redeemed, but we have a sinful flesh. So the flesh's natural response will always be sinful. Here's the thing. For some reason, we're fine acknowledging that we are sinners, but we hate acknowledging specific sins. Do you notice that? Like, we're, for some reason, we're totally fine saying, hey, I'm a sinner. But we hate it when people identify specific sins. And I'll get, here's, a, here's a perfect example. When you pray, and we, when we thank God for things, right? We'll thank God about very specific things. God, thank you for my, you know, my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my school. Thank you for my house, whatever. And then we'll say, forgive me of my sins. 
We're very specific when we're thanking God for things, but we're very vague when we ask him for forgiveness. Why? Because as long as I speak generally about my sin, I can almost separate myself from it. But when I stand up here and say that your worry is a sin, we feel shame. We feel regret. We feel guilt. Right? If I say to you that you're a sinner, you almost accept that with little offense. But when I tell you that your worry or your gossip is a sin, then we get extremely offended. What's the difference? When we speak about sin in general terms, it separates us from the reality of it. But when we get specific, we hate the shame that comes with it. So rather than trusting in the blood of Jesus and trusting that God has forgiven us of our sins, we deny the existence of said sin and we pursue on justified in our ignorance. That is not what we are called to do as Christians. See, our problem is that we forget how sinful we are. That's the problem. You need to understand that we naturally sin in our, in our sinful flesh. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Apart from Christ, that is all you can do. Here's the thing. We know that we're sinful, but we assume that we're better than we actually are. Let me be very clear. The mark of a mature Christian is not that he or she does not sin. The mark of a mature Christian is that he or she becomes more and more aware of their sinfulness. And because of this, they become more and more grateful for God's forgiveness, and they become more and more dependent on his grace. That is a mature Christian. Not walking around saying, I don't sin anymore. It's saying, I sin more than I realize. And because of that, I am thankful, and I, get, I am more thankful every day for God's forgiveness and for God's grace. And I need him to wake up in the morning. Hear me out. As long as you see your anxiety and your worry as a part of God's design for your life, then there will never be a reason to seek, Christ, to seek Christ's hand in overcoming it. As long as you look at your anxiety and say, this is what God has decided to give me. This is God's design for life. As long as you see it that way, there's no reason for you to believe in the promises of Scripture. Now, we also need to remember something else. We haven't even gotten into the passage yet. We also need to remember something else. If you are a Christian... Your sins are under the blood of Jesus, and your sins are forgiven, and they are not held against you in the eyes of God. Thank God for that. So, when I tell you that worry and anxiety is a sin, there should be no shame or guilt. And when you do worry, and when you are struggling with anxiety, you should not feel shame because of that. Why? Because God has forgiven you. Right? God has forgiven you. Rather, when we are anxious, when we are guilt, we feel conviction, which leads to thankfulness, which leads to repentance and change. Do not be ashamed of your anxiety or your worries. Please hear me out. Why? Because the blood of Jesus is greater than any sin you can ever commit. You with me? Are we on the same page? 
Just nod, pretend that we are. Yeah, there we go. So when we consider the context of what Jesus is talking about, the logical conclusion is this. Your worries reveal your treasures. Right? That's the logical conclusion that we come to. Do not lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, right, or where thieves break in and steal. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Why? Because where your heart is, right, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then he goes, do not be anxious. Why? Because what you are anxious about is the thing that your treasure is in. Ultimately, we worry because our idols that we have set up in our hearts are being threatened. I said this Sunday morning, if you were with us on Sunday morning small groups, your anxiety or your worry is the smoke that points to the fire of your idolatry. If you want to know what your idols are in your life, look at the things that make you anxious. Look at the things that make you stressed out. Look at the things that make you angry, and you will find... If you follow the, the trail, you'll find your idols. See, many of us in this room have things that we worry about, right? Many of us in this room have things that we worry about. I'll give you an example. When, when I found out that Kayla was pregnant, I was super excited, right? Of course, I was super excited. I'm like, I'm going to be a dad? Heck yeah. But there was a time where I was very nervous because I know that, like, Childbirth is something that's difficult on a mom, right? And I started to worry about every possible situation in my mind. And I had this, like, there was just these moments where I just have, like, this severe anxiety of, of like, man, like, God, oh, gosh, right? And I, I, why? Because I love my wife. And there are times where I place her at a position where she shouldn't be in my life. No matter how much I love my wife, I should never love her more than I love Christ. Why? Because, well, so what was happening? The anxiety was coming out of a place of love. It was coming out of a place of an unhealthy love. See, anxiety is the sinful response of seeking to control what you can't control. Many of us in this room struggle with worries and stresses and anxieties. We worry about how much money we have in our bank accounts, the approval of others, our relationships with girlfriends, boyfriends, best friends, and the list continues. Why? Because when it comes down to it, these are the things we treasure the most. These are the things we treasure the most. These are our idols that we devote our life of worship to. And when that idol is threatened, we stress out. When that idol is threatened, we get anxious. You see, everyone in this room has a treasure. Everyone in this room has treasures, and everyone in this room has placed their treasures somewhere. Because here's the thing, we're all natural-born worshipers. John Calvin put it this way when he said that the human heart is, a, is an idol factory. That's what we do. Right? The human heart is an idol factory. See, we esteem things that are not God as if they were God. Because we were created with an innate desire to worship. We cling to that which we can touch, see, and feel to give us purpose and meaning rather than the God who created those things. So, perhaps, the reason that we see anxiety and stress running rampant in our society in ways that are unprecedented in history is because we have become more attached to this world than ever before. We've become more attached to this world and the things that it provides. 
let me be straight up with you. If you don't know this, if you don't learn this now, you'll learn it when you get older. The more luxury you have, the more anxiety you will be tempted to also have. More money, more problems. You will never have enough. The increase of luxury will bring the increase of anxiety. I promise you that. So now we understand anxiety. We understand where it comes from. Now we have to understand provision. Now we're going to get into the text. Now we're going to get into the passage a little bit more. Notice what is it that Jesus is telling the people not to worry about in verse 25. What is he saying do not, what, what not to worry about? Your life. What else? What about your life? Food, drink, and clothes. Okay. We would probably not look at these things as luxury items, right? Like, if you don't have food, and you don't have drink, and you run around, like, buck naked, like, that is a problem, right? Those are important things. These are important things that Jesus is telling us not to worry about. All of these things are things that we would openly acknowledge are necessities for living. How long can you, one of you knows this, how long can you go without drinking water? Three days. How long can you go without eating food? All right. Three weeks, a month, roughly around there, right? Like, yo, you need food. You need water. And he's talking about, like, necessary things. And, I mean, Jesus isn't talking about worrying about things that don't matter. He's not saying, like, oh, don't worry about, you know, your boyfriend or your girlfriend. He's saying, don't worry about food and water. Don't be anxious about these very, very, very important things. Why? Because you see, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is explaining the lifestyle of a Christian. He's explaining the lifestyle of a Christian, what it looks like. He's explaining that life is not found in the abundance of possessions, but rather in losing your life for the sake of Christ. True life, true meaning, true purpose is found in saying no to the things of the world, saying yes to Jesus, abandoning these things that the world says that you should invest in, and giving your life to Christ. Whatever he says you should do. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a hard teaching. That's a hard teaching, right? Let me, let me just read that again. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. To be willing to abandon all things for Jesus is easy to say, hard to do. Right? Easy to say, hard to do. See, at this time in history, right, they didn't have the luxuries that we have today. They couldn't store food for very long. They didn't have McDonald's. They sure didn't have DoorDash, right? Every day when you woke up, what are we having? To f- what are we eating today? You almost live your life at this in this point of history, especially considering that most people were not wealthy. You almost live your life with this man. Like every day is a question of survival. Many people living simply just to continue to exist. 
That was the purpose they had. Make it to the end of the day and just exist. So when Jesus says, abandon these things that you need for life, let go of those things and follow me. The natural response is, well, Jesus, how am I supposed to continue to live if I abandon these things? Right? Who's going to take care of these important things that I have? That is a legit question. Right? That's a legit question. Like, for me, when I, when I really knew that, like, God had called me to, like, vocational ministry, to be a pastor, newsflash, pastors don't make a lot of money. They don't. But I knew I wanted to get married. I knew I wanted to have kids. So you could, I could easily ask the question, God, how could I have kids and have, have a wife and all of these things while doing this? How could I do that? How am I supposed to continue to live if I abandon these things to follow you? How will I eat? How will I drink? Jesus is explaining to them not to worry about those things because provision comes from God. Everything you need comes from God. Let's read it again. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Notice at the end of verse 25 what he says. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, Jesus is saying here, he's saying this, look, you do not exist simply to continue existing. That's not why you have breath in your lungs. God is not saying you do not live just so you can live. You're not an animal. That you just live so you can eat. That's not why you exist. If you're alive in this room, with which everyone is, if you're alive in this room, God has a specific purpose and a calling on your life. God does not waste breath. So the breath he has given you has a purpose. You with me? God has a purpose for you to fulfill in this life. Not simply to just continue existing. Not simply to just make money, have kids, and die. There's a purpose. This is important for you to understand, important for me to understand, because at this point in your life, over the next several years, you are deciding where your future will go. You're deciding right now what your future is going to look like. Those of you who are seniors in the room, hear me out. The next several years of your life are crucially important. They're vitally important. You're deciding what your future will look like, what career you want to follow, and so on. God has given you breath so that you can bring him honor and glory. God has a, has a specific calling on your life. Every single person in this room has a specific calling on your life of how you are going to do that. And if God has a plan for your life, hear me, he will sustain your life until his mission for you is complete. Right? If God has a purpose for your life, God will give you everything you need to make sure that that purpose is accomplished. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, look, anxiety and worry have a common root, misplaced treasure or doubt in God's provision. 
We either treasure things we shouldn't treasure or we doubt that God is able to provide the things that we know that we need. Look at the two examples that Jesus gives, right? The birds and the flowers, right? Look at the birds of the air. They, now, they neither toil nor see. Uh, sorry, I'm quoting it in like King James for some reason. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? He gives these examples because notice that animals and all of creation exist for the purpose, uh, for this purpose, and God sustains them. Why? Animals, plants, all of creation exist to glorify God, bring honor and glory to God, right? They what? What does Romans 1 say? That all of creation is showing the power and the majesty and the beauty of God. Animals and all of creation exist for that purpose, and God sustains those things so they can continue to do that. A flower has not worked a day in its life. God sustains them. And if God provides for the, for the creation, for nature, how much more do you think God will provide for you, whom he sent his son to die for? How much more? See, here's something you need to understand. There's a... Maybe this is just me, but I reached a point in my life where I, had to, I questioned a lot of things. Not questioned because I was, like, in this, like, crisis state. But I was just like, man, like, why do I do what I do? You know what I'm trying to say? And, and like, so here's, like, why do we have jobs? Think about it. Like, every dollar you make, you will spend. Right? Like, why do you, what does money provide you? It provides you an opportunity to buy things. Right? Yes, Mike. Yes. Okay. Right? It provides you opportunity to buy things. Money does no good if you don't spend it. Now, I'm not trying to say go out and, like, I'd be crazy. What I'm trying to say is that money is useful when it is spent. Where do you get the money? We get the money by having a job. Okay? I work so that I can have money so that I can buy things whether it be food, water, whatever it might be. Here's the problem. When we see money as the ultimate thing, and we work so that we can have more money, you've missed the entire purpose of why God gave you that job. See, God did not create you to make money. God created you to glorify him, and money is a tool that we can use to be able to, one, glorify him, and two, provide for ourselves so that we can glorify him. Does that make sense? Ultimately saying this, it's a lot easier to glorify God when you don't have to worry about what you're having for dinner. It's a lot easier to feel free to glorify God when you don't have to worry about surviving. And here's the thing. God is saying, I have provided everything that you need to survive. Your job is given to you so that you can have the things that you need so that ultimately your main purpose can be fulfilled. Your main purpose is not to work at Chick-fil-A. Your main purpose is not to go to college and get a really good degree so you have a really good job. Your main purpose is to glorify God. And if you put your job in the place of glorifying God, you will live your entire life chasing something you will never accomplish. And you will have constant anxiety and worry and worry. Why? Because there's no end goal with money. It's just have more of it and more of it and more of it. Like, are you tracking with me? The purpose of jobs and money... They are a means to an end of glorifying God and allowing you to do so without concern. 
Going back to what does he say? He says, don't worry about these things. Why? Because the Gentiles run after these things. Right? At this time, the word Gentiles were synonymous with someone that was not a believer, right? Someone that did not have a relationship with God. So ultimately, Jesus is saying this. To focus simply on how you are going to continue to exist is to think like someone who is not a Christian. It's to think like someone who's not a Christian. Because here's the deal, guys. If someone who's not a Christian, yeah, that's why they exist, to exist. Because there's no overarching purpose. We exist to glorify God, to bring him glory. And that's something that's eternal and lasts forever. All right, we talked about this last week. I don't exist just to exist. God is going to get you where he needs you to be. God has never had this happen. God has never said, man, I had so many plans for you. But, man, if you would have just worried a little bit more, then I could have done them. Right? God has never done that. God has never said, I had so many plans for you. I had all these things I tried to do, but you just never let me do it. Because you didn't take care of yourself enough. I want you to know this. God doesn't try to do anything. God does things. You with me? God doesn't try things. He does them. He's like, man, I was really going to do some awesome things with your life, but some things happened that I wasn't expecting. Or I had these plans for your life, but you got sick and I couldn't do them. God never tries. He simply does things. If God wants you to be equipped for the future, he will make it happen. If God's plan is for you to live till you're 75, guess what? You're living till 75. And no amount of worry and no amount of concern and no amount of anything will change that. Nothing. When I think about my wife, how much I love my wife. There's times where I, you know, where just intrusive thoughts, man. You get nervous, right? You just kind of think, oh, what happens, right? What happens if she gets in a car accident on the way home and she dies? Man, that, oh, right? But here's the thing. What am I going to do? All right, well, hey, like, you ride with me. But here's the thing. Whether she dies in a car accident or dies in her sleep, God is the giver and taker of life, not me. So what does me worrying change? Nothing. 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 And this is why Jesus says this statement. Oh, you of little faith. It's because when we doubt, our doubt is not simply a doubt in God's ability, but rather it's in God's character. It's because we forget who God is. All right? What does he say? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, look, stay focused on the kingdom. I'll take care of the rest. Stay focused on the kingdom. I'll take care of the rest. Don't worry about this person or that person or, th or your, this or that or whatever. Look, I'll take care of that. You focus on me. You focus on me. 2 Corinthians 4.18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Man, look, this life is coming and going. It, it, things live, things die, things fall apart, whatever. But you know what? God doesn't change. 
When I was on a boat, I've shared this example before. I, I love fishing. I love fishing. It's a wonderful thing. You should try it sometime. Jesus fished. You should too. Okay? <laughs> right? And I, in particular, I love offshore deep sea fishing. Okay? Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, there's times where you get seasick. And that is a terrible experience to be seasick like 30 miles offshore. Because there's nothing you can do. You're just there. And you're just like, this is how it ends, right? This is how it goes. You know, I'm just going to vomit myself to death. You know, sounds it's, it's a terrible feeling. But one thing that my dad would tell me is like whenever you're feeling seasick, he's like, just look at the horizon. He says, because no matter how bumpy those waves get, that horizon never changes. Here's what you need to understand. No matter how big the waves of life get, God never changes. Focus on him, man. Stop worrying about these things that come and go. Stop trying to control what you can't control. God provides. God will get you everything that he needs for you to have. If your life is, if the purpose of your life is given to you by God, God will not let that fail. God has never tried something and did not accomplish it. God has never sought to do something that did not happen. God is undefeated. God wins always, all the time. Nothing that you are worried about will stop God's plans. Nothing. When we understand God's provision, then we can understand our futures. When you understand what anxiety is and, what un- and we understand God's provision, then we can understand what our futures hold. Verse 27 says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Then verse 34 says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient I- for the day is its own trouble. Notice, God never runs out of time. God never runs out of time. I want you to hear this in Psalm 139. David says, verses 13 through 16, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame has not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every single one of them, the days that were formed for me. That last verse, you see that? In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. That God has written out your days. God knows when you will die. God knows when I will die. And nothing I do will change that. Nothing. No amount of worry will change it. Why? Because God is in control. Do you hear me? God is in control. Please listen to what I'm trying to say. God is in control. When, when, when our former student, Jacob Byers, passed away last year, March, it's not like when he died in that car accident, God was up there saying, oh, man, now I can't do what I was wanting to do. No, God had determined when Jacob was born how old he would be. Now, here's the question when we think of that. Man, like, then why does God do what he does what he does? Why does God do these things? Why does God take people when they're young? Why does God take people when they're old? 
God holds your life and mine in the palm of his hands. And while we may not understand why God does what he does, we know that God is good. I don't need to know what God is doing if I know who he is. Let's give you an example. Right? Last week, we needed ping pong paddles. Right? Those ping pong paddles, you guys are abusive on those ping pong paddles. They never last. We get a ping pong paddle, by the end of the night, it's like obliterated into a million pieces. Probably because you guys, when you get mad, you go and you hit your thigh with it and it snaps in half. I think, I'm convinced that's why it happens. Looking at you two. Okay. But anyway, anyway, last week Josiah came up to me and he's like, hey, like, we need ping pong paddles. So I gave him my church credit card. Probably shouldn't have done that, but I did. I said, hey, Josiah, go get some ping pong paddles. Now, I did not know what Josiah was going to do with that card. He could have went on a shopping spree. He could have gotten himself a nice haircut. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. All right. You have a nice haircut. Don't, don't, don't be taking things all personal. Right. <laughs> it's not like I'm up here being like, he could have fixed that busted haircut. No, I didn't, I'm not saying that. No. Right? He could have done anything with that card. But here's the thing. I didn't have to know what Josiah was going to do. Why? Because I feel like I know Josiah well enough to know that what he's going to do with that card is the right thing. I've given this example before, too. My truck sometimes gets an attitude and doesn't want to start. Right? It just happens. It happens. We have, like, the exact same truck. So it, it, we, could, we, could, we could just, you know what, after this we'll go to Chick-fil-A and we'll just cry on each other's shoulder. Right? Right? And it, I, I don't know why, but my trunk just says, no, not today. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So what I do is ultimately I'll go to Kayla and hey, Kayla, can I use your car today because my truck has a problem. Right? And she's like, yeah, no problem. And I take her keys. She has no idea where I'm going. She has no idea what I pl- have planned for that day. But she knows me. And she knows that I'm going to take care of that car. Here's the thing, guys. I don't know what God is going to do with my life. But I know that God is good. So whatever he does, I know is good. Whatever God does, I know is good. Because I know that he is good. John 10, 28-30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who, know, who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Hear that. Nothing in this life will snatch you out of the plan that God has for you. Nothing. Then why do we worry? It's because we forget who God is. We forget who God is. Now, hear me out. I am not telling you that if you have anxiety or you struggle with it, that you're, bad, that you're not a Christian, you don't know God. That's not what I'm saying. What I am trying to say to you is this, that victory from anxiety, victory over anxiety is found in remembering who God says he is. All the times that I get anxious and I get nervous, you know what I do? I will out loud remind myself of who I know God is. I will think of everything that I could possibly remember about what God says about himself. Say, God, you made me. 
God, you know how many days I, I have on this earth. You know how many hairs are on my head. You love me. You died for me. You created the world. You, you set the oceans. You put the stars in the sky, and you know how many there are. You, and I just, boom, go over and over and over. And what I have noticed is that the more I just say things about who, how I know God is, ultimately what I'll realize is that the anxiety subsides. Why? Because peace and contentment is not found in what we do for him. It's not found in what this world tries to tell you to do. It's found ultimately in who God is. If you're in this room and you're struggling with anxiety, you need to be reminded. Say, pray, Spend time in prayer. Say, God, help me to know who you are. Help me to know who you are. No matter how many times I try to take control of my life, I know that ultimately God is in control. And whether I live to be 100 years old, I really hope not. I don't want to be 100. I've never seen somebody who was 100 years old be like, I'm so happy I'm still here. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the one time we're recording a sermon and I say that. Um, but now, whether I live to be 100 or I die tonight, my job is not to see how long I can last. My job is to be faithful with every second he gives. To be faithful with every second that he gives. Did you know, this is the last thing I'm going to say, and we're going to go. Did you know that, uh, so I saw there was an article, talking about what, it was from, came out of Washington, D.C., and what they said was that a dense fog that covers seven city blocks is made up of a little, le- uh, the, sorry, it's a, a dense fog that covers seven city blocks and is 100 feet in depth, is made up of a little less than a glass of water, split into 60,000 million droplets. That a little less than a glass of water cripples an entire city. Isn't that what anxiety does? Something that is so small and in, like so small compared to who our God is, and it cripples us. You, what, what we need to do is we need to understand that our treasure should be in God. And when our treasure is in God, nothing in this life can touch it. Nothing in this life can touch that. So my relationships, my friendships, my marriage, my children, whatever it is, I give those to God. And I say, God, you know better than I do. You're stronger than I am. And God, I just help me to trust you. That is. And when you are able to do that, man, now you're able to walk in freedom, right? You're able to walk joyfully into what tomorrow has. Not knowing what it is, but you know what? Hey, God is good. Does that make sense? All right. Again, I'm not able to talk about everything, right? So I'm sure that there's things that I said that maybe you're like, I don't understand that. Or maybe there's things that I didn't say that you're like, hey, what about this? Hey, that's why we go to Chick-fil-A. Grill me there, okay? We'll have stumped the chomp in the bed of my truck, whatever you want, okay? Uh, hey, guys, I'm going to pray. I'm going to let you guys go. Thanks for being patient with me. All right, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, I ask that you would just be with us, God. Help us to know um, that, Father, that ultimately you are in control. And, God, that you take care of the birds and the lilies. And, Father, you say that we are far more valuable than they because you sent your son to die for us. 
And God, we know that ultimately if we are in your hands, then nothing can take us out. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for these students. God, I ask that as we go, uh, for those of us who are going to go to Chick-fil-A, God, that you bless the food we're going to eat. God, that ultimately uh, you bless our conversations for your glory. And God, bring us all back together soon. I thank you. I praise you. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. Love, peace, and chicken grease. I'll see you later.